If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Today's guest is Yvette Fram. Yvette began her equine career, like many do, drawing horses until she could own one. Between the age of four, when she saw her first horse, and 12, when she actually got one, she pursued with single-minded dedication the ambition to draw them well. The distinctive style of Yvette's horse art exudes an intense life with a feeling of intimacy. She's utterly passionate about the process of creating vibrant equine images in inks and pastels. A successful early career in show jumping led to studying horse husbandry, but she soon found art was more important to her, attending university to gain degrees in visual arts, education and business. Yvette's mantra as an artist is know your subject, and to achieve this, she studied equine anatomy, particularly skeletal anatomy. Her straightforward demonstrations, along with an uncanny ability to communicate complex ideas into an easy-to-understand language, makes her an effective teacher. She encourages artists of all ages and levels of expertise to develop the many exciting skills of equine art, both practical and theoretical. For her, it's always been important to share her knowledge and support others to pursue their potential, equipping them with the tools to succeed. Yvette is able to show how simple it is to improve the skill in drawing so your horses look amazing. She's a full-time artist and works from a tractor shed studio on the family farm in northern Mallee of South Australia, selling exquisite equine art worldwide. Yvette also conducts private art classes and workshops around the country, and her latest adventures expanding her international career have led to exhibit her latest works in the U.S., in August at the world-famous Horses in Art show at the Quarter Horse Hall of Fame in Texas. That's a bit of a mouthful of it. How are you? Oh, <laughs> it was. I'm done. I'll go home now. And <laughs> <laughs> well, people know about oh, you anyway, and if they read those words, they've come off your website. Do you know what? I must have had a moment of extremely good writing. I sound rather <laughs> good, don't I? I think you've done well, but I think it was all relevant and um, relevant to what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it certainly is, yes. Yeah. So normally we start with a favourite quote. What have you got for us? Well, the favourite quote is most certainly uh, know your subject. Mm-hmm. I live by that. There are several other quotes that, that are associated with it. One of them is basically never let reality get in the way of a good painting, which sounds quite contradictory. But what it means is if you know your subject, that gives you power and integrity so that you wish to alter or modify your work, you're doing it from a position of knowledge rather than uh, ignorance. Um, And the third uh, mantra by by which I live is give yourself permission to not make art. And I know that one also sounds a little weird, but what it means is artists can put themselves under immense pressure to just keep producing constantly. 
and they can actually work themselves into a corner where they either run run out of um, inspiration or original thought and ideas and become very repetitive and stuck in very, very deep grooves. So I think a creative's mind never stops thinking even when they stop producing. And I've actually found when I take breaks, I come back better than ever. Mm, mm. It's interesting because, you know, just in preparation for this interview, I had a look at some of your paintings, which are absolutely lovely, by the way. Mm, Thank you. The thing that got me, that really struck me about them was, even though the style might be the same, every horse you draw is different. Does that make sense? Like you're drawing the actual horse. You're not just drawing all horses that look the same. Every horse looks different. Yeah, and they certainly do. And it's it's one of the things that I, I have become aware of as a result of all the feedback that I get. Mm. I, I think it's because I have invested so much intellectually into what I do. Yep. And, you know, we, we talked about skeletons. I have a collection of animal skeletons, but I also have a specific equine skeleton collection. And, in fact, I, I have what I call my body in the bag. She is one of my beloved old horses, and she travels with me. And I take her uh, around the country, and I, I use her when I'm teaching art. Uh, I start with anatomy, and I, I talk about how a horse is built and made. And it's, it's just extraordinary how much that informs my understanding of every single subject that I have. Yep, yep, yep. And I think every horse is different too. You know, every horse, you've really captured the personality and the difference of every individual horse that you draw or you paint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that stems from the fact that I have grown up with that very intimate relationship with my horses. Mm -hmm. And so you get to know them very up close and personal. You know how they feel and how they smell and how they move. And it, it's it's an intangible, but it impregnates everything that I do, I believe, because what what happens is I understand the relationship of the clients that I have and their horses, and I almost climb into their shoes because I don't just do um, paintings of people's horses. I build relationships while while I'm doing it. Um, and that, that means that their horse, in a little way, becomes my horse while I'm creating it. Yep, yep, yep. No, I can see that. I can see that. Yvette, we know that when you first saw a horse at the age of four, you started to draw horses. But tell me about one of the early memories you had with horses, whether it was the first time or just something early that happened, a bit of an incident or something that may have happened. Well, I... I didn't choose to become an equine artist. I didn't choose the horses and I didn't choose the art. They chose me. Mm -hmm. When I was four years old, I was standing outside the kindergarten gates and this grubby, sweaty little white pony went past with his rider and I fell in love. Mm -hmm. I can distinctly, like it's like a snapshot in my mind, that moment, and it had me. Completely, and I hadn't grown up with any of any of the horsey cultures that most people have that are involved in horses, and it's become a lifetime obsession. And I I was considered the weird kid at school because I always had horses, and I always drew horses, and it's just like I couldn't switch it off. I did try because obviously it's not it's not fun being weird at school, <laughs> but you know you, you survive school and you get on with your life and you find out that being like that's okay. 
So one of the reasons why I teach is because I want every person to know that being a creative mind and being different is a very, very cool thing to be. When you were at school, were there any other weird kids that had horses or was it just completely a non-rural area? You know, because sometimes the (laughs) weird kids that like horses end up meeting each other and becoming best of friends, you know. Did that ever happen? Well, I lived in a a rural area. It's not a very horsey area, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I can remember one, one of my girlfriends aspired to the opportunities that my parents gave me. And it caused quite a rift, actually. Like, yeah, I was I was the one that got the pony. And, okay. yeah, you, you realise how spoiled you are at that point. Yeah. Did you realise or didn't you realise until later? Only in retrospect, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a really good friendship up until the age of about, yeah, about the age I got my pony. And then it all went south. Mm, <laughs> mm, mm. Um, and it, that's okay because I I – have learnt from that that, you know, people are, are going to have issues with what you do and who you are and because I've always been that, that little bit different, you know, I've, I've turned that into, hopefully I've turned that into one of my great strengths. Yep, yep. Now, the combination of art and horses, you've got the two and neither of them are very structured careers in a lot of ways, but you brought the two of them together. Was it like a moment that you said, I'm going to be an equine artist, or were there things that brought it together that made you choose that then as a career? It has has proven to be a lifetime journey of I had to do this. Mm-hmm. I look back in retrospect at every single thing that's happened and every opportunity and everything good and bad that's happened in my life, and it has all led led to this. And it's it feels like a absolutely like a, a calling and that someone outside of me has a vision for my life and I'd just better get on with it because fighting it doesn't work. And yeah, it started when I was was four with that little pony. I started to draw them. I obviously badgered my parents into letting me have one. They eventually, two or three horses, I think it was about the third third horse I ever owned. He was uh, a young, quite volatile type and he came at the... um, he was one of my parents' uh, customers. They had a, a an automotive business, and he was watching me getting around on on this horse. And he said, "If you ever want her to achieve her, you know, like to actually enjoy this and achieve her potential, you need to get her some decent animals." And uh, so he hunted me down this one young horse, and that horse transformed my life. So I was, let me see, probably think I got him for about my fifteenth or sixteenth birthday, and Together and with this man's uh, support and with his coaching, we ended up becoming the top South Australian show jumping combination back in the 80s. And, you know, this funny little country girl, we used to travel three hours at least to the shows in Adelaide in order to compete against riders of that standard and to get out there and over time find that I could beat them just about whenever I felt like I think I had an extraordinary horse. I think. You know, like that horse came to me rather than anyone else and we created a relationship and made magic together. He's actually buried on the farm. He stayed with mm-hmm. me for life. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I'm, I'm a great believer that if you have those special horses, you need to, to do the right thing by them and, and be their parent for their entire life. Mm-hmm. But he, he was the first one. And I suddenly realised that this weird kid 
who didn't have all that background and was always that little bit different to everyone else could be that good. Yep. I could be better than anyone else. You know how that transforms the way someone can work their way through life believing that that's possible? Yeah, certainly the confidence. Absolutely. You know, I went off and studied horse husbandry and I, I got partway through the course and went, you know, all this anatomy stuff, it's really, really cool, but I think I want to be an artist. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> that, there was that weird thing about it. So I, I went off and studied art and got a, an arts degree and in my final year, and this is the thing that I used to get teased for when I was a kid in school. Yep. In my final year, I created a huge portfolio of interesting horse drawings, <laughs> odd anatomical parts and, mm. and things that people didn't normally look at. And, uh, you know, that those those studies and, and those um, pieces, I mean, Rose, uh, Roseworthy was where I, I did the horse husbandry. Yep. Ballarat University was where I studied visual art. Mm-hmm. They actually have a life-size painting of a horse upside down while surgery was being performed and it's called the horse's ass. Wow. So that's hanging somewhere in the university because they yeah. decided to buy it off me. Now wow. that's another milestone because they could have bought the art that was far more, you know, art for art's sake type art. They they chose to buy mine. That's a pretty special feeling mm-hmm. uh, as well. So, yeah. But, yeah, I came home after that and, behold, I married the neighbour. <laughs> okay. Okay. Which is which is ironic, um, yeah, yeah. because that was that wasn't part of the plan. But we live on the farm. We have horses. One day he said to me, "You've got to study business because it's good for the farm." Mm-hmm. And I got nearly the whole way through a business degree, and they they asked us to do a business plan. And I just went off on a tangent, and I didn't do a business plan for the farm at all. I did one <laughs> for my business as an artist. Yes. And yes. Uh, that I have been implementing ever since. But, yeah, every single step, the reason why I studied education rather than doing what my lecturers suggested and continue to study art, the fact that when my husband and I were having our early relationship conversations and he outlined his plans for the farm and the family in the future and yep. I asked him if he'd give it all up for my art career and he said yes. Well, well, so, okay. It has to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. If someone then wants to have a career with heart, you know, I mean, you said that it's an absolute calling and you don't want to fight it, but what sort of core skills or character traits would they need if they said, I want to become an equine artist? What do they need to have before they actually start? I think it has to be what they wake up with in the morning. It has to be what they dream about. It has to drive all their thinking because... It's a really hard gig. I would say that being, I call it bloody-minded, mm-hmm. like that, that absolute unstoppable determination no matter what the obstacles are, that I will keep doing this. So extreme determination. Um, you have to have huge amounts of self-belief, which can be really, really hard because if you've grown up a, a creative, the rest of the community around you tends not to value the sort of person that you are. So that's kind of tricky. Um, And weirdly enough, I'd highly recommend marrying a farmer (laughs) because compared to the risks of farming, (laughs) you know, how you put the crop in the ground and you wait six months and you hope, yeah. You know, equine art looks pretty low risk in comparison (laughs) some days. It really does. 
So, you know, it, it's kind of simple. I think you really have to know some some good business skills and you have to be a great communicator. They're the basic ingredients, I think. What do you think then is the best thing about combining art and horses? It never feels like work. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> For me, when God was handing out gorgeous creatures on the earth, he saved up all the best bits for the equine. They are, in my mind, the single most superlative piece of creation we have on this earth. And and I never, ever tire of drawing them. That's mm-hmm. good. Now, you talked about the man who supported you with the horse you got for your 15th or 16th birthday. Who was that? His name was Murray Bickmore, and he had three sons who were all involved in horses. And he was, and you know, he was the very, very first person who wasn't my family. And he's one of a very, very long list now of people who gave unconditionally and with great generosity. And it's because he believed in me. Yep. Those things about, you know, because what I try and do is be someone who is very giving and pays it forward because I have been given so much. Was there anyone else you think, you know, that you'd like to mention? Like you've talked about him. People who have really put your career together, you know, to make it. So so Murray would have certainly helped you to go off with your show jumping and supported you there, which I suppose has been instrumental to get you to have a better knowledge about horses. Yeah. Who else do you think you'd like to mention? Oh goodness! Um, I think one of my uh, one of my lecturers at university, uh, Judy Woodward, mm-hmm. and the reason why I, she was so wonderful is because she supported anything I drew. And she, I remember her saying, "I think I was a first year student at the time." And this sounds a little odd. And one day she said to me, "You know, you're quite brilliant." And she said, "You know, you are." And I'm going, all right, I'm in trouble now. And I said, what do I do about it? (laughs) And she just said, just work hard. She said, if if you're that good, just work hard. And that was extraordinary coming from a lecturer. Mm -hmm. So uh, I valued her a great deal. Uh, A lady by the name of Beryl Pierce. And um, she and her husband, Ivan, owned a a stock horse stud in Donald in Victoria, like central Victoria. And I became good friends with them just through contacts. And you know how you you meet someone, you go instantly, they're keepers for life. Yes. I visit her every time I go to Victoria or catch up with her family. And she provided, like I said, unconditional support. She believed in me. She was my first dressage coach. Mm -hmm. She just did it because she's a very, very generous spirited woman. And she is still in her 80s doing some instruction and coaching uh, around the place as, as she can. So, And they're, they're the ones at art school. After that, it gets a little interesting because these are less horse people and more amazing people in the community. I have a man by the name of Mike Roberts and he and his wife, Di, were among the very first people to become what I would call patrons and collectors of my work when I went because I, I came home, had children, didn't make art for 10 years. Mm, okay. When I went back into art production, he and his wife started to collect my work. I think they've got five of my, my pieces. Yes. They've got some huge pieces of artwork. And are they horse people? 
Well, that's an interesting one because they were quarter horse people in okay. their day. Yep, yep. And it's his passion for quarter horses that might be one of the reasons why I'm now exhibiting in America. Yes, okay. Just like he's going, this is an amazing breed, and he talked with such passion mm. about the qualities of the breed. Yep. And when I did a business trip in America uh, to research the opportunity to expand my career, we ended up at the Quarter Horse Hall of Fame and just went, this is great. This is a, a fantastic spot to exhibit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I suspect we, we went there because he said, you've got to see this place. So, you know, that that's... That was one of those things. Yep. But, yeah, the, he was a horse person. I've got a, a, a Richard Fuster has been a long, long-time supporter. He actually was uh, is one of the trustees of the Adelaide Show Society um, and a, a good friend who lives locally who has been a mentor for close to 10 years, like a business mentor. Yes. And the things that I do, every time I try and do something that I am not skilled at, I attract somehow out of the universe, a collective of people who have the skills that I need and who are, just like Murray was all those years ago, prepared to support me and equip me Mm -hmm. to be the best I can be. I think if you are passionate and you have a strong vision and it's infectious, people just do that. Yep, yep, yep. What about horses? You had one on your 15th or 16th birthday that you thought was a pretty good one. Are there any others? What was his name and and are there any others? Yes, well, his name was Blue Jasper Mm -hmm. and, yeah, he took me from junior D grade to senior A grade and we won a nifty trophy called the Bell Harry Cup, which was really cool. Um, I've had some other interesting horses over the years, but none of them stood out like the one that's standing in the paddock at the moment and her name is uh, Tookie. Tookie came to me via my hairdresser, of all people, who said, I've got this retired racehorse, and I said, I'm looking for a horse to ride. And he said, well, give her a go. And I went out there, and he walked in the yard, and she reared and came at him, and I went, excellent start. And then she had a leg injury, and he said, oh, she kicks too. So I went, okay, this is going to be interesting. And I brought her home, and, yes, she certainly does kick. She's got every kick in the book. Yeah. She's just about given up rearing, but she will rear for the, for the photographer and on special um, encouragement. And she's been the most entertaining horse I have, like genuinely entertaining horse I've ever owned, without doubt the prettiest horse I've ever owned. Mm-hmm. And she became my art muse. I think I've done something like 60 paintings of her. Mm-hmm. They are in people's collection all over Australia She's even gone overseas. So she's in several people's households in America yep. and is a truly international horse, <laughs> moping about the paddock, being an ordinary horse most days. Yep, yep, yep. Thinking about the Bell Harry Cup, the you know international art, the Quarter Horse for Hall of Fame and your art at university, what do you think is your proudest moment? Oh, my art career. Mm. Oh, that's a tricky one. There are so many. Um, I remember ringing up Richard Fuster one day because he gave me a great deal of support to go to America, you know, like advice and stuff. And I I said to him, you know, on this trip I did this and I did this and I did this. And I remember we'd held a farm party 12 months earlier and one of my girlfriends coined it the Road to New York party. Anyway, I'm talking to him on the phone and then I said, oh, and 
Manhattan Sadlery in the middle of New York is stocking my colouring in books. And I stopped for a minute and I went, I've caught my art in New York. How, the, how <laughs> amazing is that? I can remember just thinking that that was a that was a, a showstopper in my mind, a little thing like that. Generally speaking, the thing that makes me happiest in the whole world, the, the thing, and it happens over and over, is when I go off and do something really cool like go to Equitana. I love doing Equitana and I teach there as well. Or going to an exhibition opening and my husband's with me because he is the man who said, I will do this to support your art career. And he's been true to his word. My proudest moment is achieving something special as an artist. Like we, we sold the first piece at the Quarter Horse Hall of Fame on opening night. Wow. And I'm standing next to my husband saying, we did it. Mm. You know, mm. this is extraordinary. Mm. So, yeah, every, every time my proudest moments are associated with having him next to me. Sadly, I can't share those with my mum anymore. She used to be the the person I did so much with when I was younger. But proud moments, I don't think they work on their own. No, no, they often don't. And, uh, you know, a lot of people do say, well, they, they just keep coming. You know, oh, that's, that's it, uh, yeah. yeah. No, I think it's got to be a proud moment for you. You know, not just something that someone else has told you that should make you proud, but it's got to make you feel proud. Yes. Well, mm-hmm. knowing that someone loves what you do so much that yep. they want a piece of it, want to be part of it, that really fills my cup. I'd say I've got several proud moments yet to be experienced. And like I said, they are going to be proud moments because they will be shared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good, good. You can come back and talk to us about it. I'm sure that will be very good listening to our listeners. Yeah, uh, I, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. What about, you know, thinking of where you are now with your art, Mm. internationally recognised and that's your career, what do you think? And you've already talked about sort of the break in the middle where you, you know, you went home and got married and had a couple of kids, but... What else has been challenging? You know, thinking of other people who would like to do more and combine their passions of art and horses, what can be done there? You know, what, what's the biggest challenge that you think will hold them up that's maybe held you up that might hold them up as well? I think, and this may be a personal thing, but I think never you never do things alone. Mm-hmm. Partnerships are very powerful. I remember uh, having a wonderful conversation with a, a gentleman who became friends of ours, and he created an amazing career and business, several businesses. And he said his skill was in finding great partners. And I'll keep going back to that because I think that's why I chose to be a teacher rather than just a professional artist, is not because I went, you know what, I can get a day job with that. I actually did it because I saw a beautiful place in the community where I could access or inspire people to access the creative side of themselves. And Mm -hmm. then I could get busy saying how extraordinary it is to have a mind like that, to be able to see the world differently to anyone else. Creative thinkers, uh, they're our future makers. I'm hoping 
and seeing in my children as they grow up that they are creative thinkers. They think outside the box. They don't see boundaries. They're hungry to take risks and go on adventures. I think that when you think about it, if I wanted an ordinary job, I may, you know, I'd never be satisfied. I just can't function like that. Yep. What do you think, just sort of taking you away from, you know, what challenges are, when people are drawing horses, you know, because you're going out there and doing workshops, what do you think a common problem, a common fault is when people draw horses? You know, when they first start drawing horses, they might have the passion to do it, but within their painting, what are they missing? I think uh, it all comes down to initially anatomical accuracy. Mm -hmm. The way I teach equine art is very similar to the way I learned how to do portraiture and life drawing when I was at art school, in that you need to measure and check all your angles, all your proportions, and you need to get them absolutely spot on and you cross-check them and you are that knowing a subject. It's about being really, really diligent and hard on yourself. There is absolutely nothing easy about this. It is truly a higher brain function. It has been assessed as such in that being able to, to be able to see. I think that's the simple definition is teaching people to be able to see the truth, not what they think the truth is, but what is the actual truth. So there's a pile of skills that I teach that help you find those truths very, very easily. And if you can get that right, I have described uh, drawing a horse as putting a jigsaw puzzle together. It's, they're just shapes, light and dark, uh, bones and skin and muscle over bone, seeing, seeing highlights for what they, what they really are, which is, is just shapes, yep. and, and putting it together. So there, there seem to be the things that people uh, run into the most trouble with mm-hmm. is is just simply seeing, really, really seeing it. Yep, yep. What about a book? Have you got a book that you could recommend to our listeners if they'd like to explore this whole area of equine art? Have you got a book that you'd like to recommend for them? The one I haven't written yet? <laughs> yes, actually I was going to ask you. Yes, yes. Uh, look, I actually, what happened was when I started um, specifically teaching equine art in the middle of the year, mm. and it only started because of relationships there too, um, one of the participants said, I'd really love to have this in writing. And I went, <laughs> oh. So I, I did. I did start writing and I thought this is an awfully big subject, just drawing horses and, and the various uh, techniques and then the various mediums. If you did a series of books, broke mm. it down, this is how you draw a horse's head, this is how you draw a horse's leg, this is how you draw and made it a series, that means it's a lot more small chunks for you, isn't it? Well, that, that's an idea because it is an overwhelming subject. Mm. I even found when I started teaching that because I've invested a whole lifetime into all the knowledge that I have and obviously because I I bring I say I bring my brains to work with me. Yep. Think really, really hard at what I'm doing about what I'm doing, and constantly challenging myself to be better. Or that you end up with a bucket of knowledge that is bigger than being her, and it's yes. really, really hard to channel that down. So your suggestion about turning it into bites, mm. it's definitely the way to go. Um, and it's strange that I can't recommend a, an equine art book, but as a child, and everyone will identify with this, I was given a Walter Foster. 
Yes, a couple of them, drawing books. That's where I started to see how systematic creating something uh, could be and it just it suited my thinking very well. And when you do do those series of books, for each one, we might get you back to do an interview about the book and about some tips for people who are drawing horses would be good. Yeah, mm. well, it, mm. it'd be fun because putting into words something that I know because, you know, when, when you've worked an awful lot out for yourself, it's all internalised. And yes. it's sometimes the challenge is to put it into the writing that can be processed and understood uh, by others. And I actually find that a terribly exciting, <laughs> exciting and challenging. It makes me think better. Yes. Um, I'm out there teaching. Like I've just come back from Melbourne. I'm about to head over to Perth. And when I'm teaching, the feedback that I get from my students, some of them have made me do things just because of the feedback. You just go, you know what, I'll do that differently next time. Mm-hmm. I will make that smarter or clearer or simpler. So when I get to writing, I know what much better now what works and what translates to an entire group of people. Yep, yep. Yvette, what are you looking forward to now? You've sort of almost done everything that you need to do, but what what else are you doing? I'm sure you'll find something. Oh, this year alone, I'm these workshops that I'm running around the country, I intend to work on getting that all over Australia. I'm having conversations with several people in Queensland and, and we'll work on getting getting up there. We're talking about going up uh, Port Hedland Way, so I want to go up the coast and really cover the country and I will be in Tasmania at some stage this year when I can fit it in. So that's on the plans. I've also started conversations with America and it looks like I'll be teaching in Florida next year. So that's really fantastically exciting. And every single time I have a new person with any of these workshops, obviously people come back to do more workshops, but I add them to this very, very special group of people and it's growing all the time. I think I've got over 60 people there now. Good, good. And I'm calling them the Spirit of Equine (laughs) Workshop uh, Group, which sounds really, really ordinary and lame. But what it is, is a group of people I've created a a culture with and ultimately I'm going to work on them exhibiting as a group somewhere in Australia. So a national exhibition of all these amazing people. So that's on the books this year. We're working towards it. Middle of this year we're going over to America again because I've been invited back so I'm exhibiting there again. And I'm going to look at visiting Kentucky because they have a... Uh, Horses in Art Association there, and we don't have one in this country, and I just want to check it out and see what it looks like because it sounds exciting. Yep. And I'll bring things home and and try and grow the, you know, the psyche of Australia is horses are wonderful, but they kind of stop at that. So what I would love to build is this belief that not only are horses wonderful, but horses are for everyone, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have one in the paddock. You can have one on the wall. So I would like to work towards generating an understanding that buying original artwork is okay. It, it's you know you don't have to say, "Gee, should I?" You just do it. Yep. You know, um, yep. and that supports Australian artists. 
but specifically those equine artists because I think there's a whole pile just ready to ready to run. Mm, mm, mm. And people who already know about horses and are creative but just need a little bit of guidance and direction. Uh, yeah, and, and look, it's not that I'm better than other artists in this country. There are other artists out there that I think absolutely extraordinary. Mm. It's not that I'm a better teacher. I just, I'm the noisiest one I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'll get out there and I will talk to absolutely anyone about this vision that I have that mm-hmm. we can grow an Australian equine art collector's like a a culture of people who think this is a really cool idea, whether they're horse people or not. And, you know, it's funny when you start talking about that a whole heap, I can see the building blocks starting starting to happen. And there are things I'm doing right now that I can't even talk about till (laughs) till I may maybe come together. Yep. And, you know, that's just this year. Goodness only knows what next year's got in store. Yes, yes, yeah. I wrote down here, not only horses are wonderful, they're for everyone. Is that your philosophy about art and horses or have you got something else that you'd like to share? Well, I do believe in in that one because art is seen in this country as almost elitist. Like I can walk into a house where someone has spent a countless amount of money building a fabulous house with fabulous uh, fixtures and features and they'll have prints on the wall. Mm, mm. And it's kind of like if you went to all the trouble of doing that, how about we work out what's holding you back from investing in original art and you know what, I'm a horse person so let's go down that path. (laughs) Rather than buying any other kind of art, let's be looking at equine art and see what we can do in that regard. But I, I went to a meeting some years ago and it was people from the, uh, a sporting background and people from an arts background were at the meeting. Okay. And one of the artists in the group was lamenting how difficult it was to access arts funding. And a guy who was from one of the football clubs, he stood up and he said, well, if you could get as many bums on seats as we do, you could probably have a better chance of accessing funding. And I stood up and I said, you try rocking up at your football event naked and on foot. (laughs) Now, he didn't get it. Mm, mm, Yes. (laughs) But the artists did because so much of what we do and so much of what we choose to wear and choose to drive is an aesthetic decision. Mm -hmm. And we need to, you know, unpack the thinking a little bit more and and maybe that's that's another consideration. But Australia needs to get more excited about being maybe collectors or more philanthropic in their approach to putting work on on the wall in their homes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How can people contact you, contact you generally, but also contact you about these workshops that you're running? Uh, I'm a great Facebooker. It's the easiest way to get around the world. (laughs) I've actually built my entire career. I don't know where I'd be without it. I can sit in isolation on the farm. Yep. And I can access the whole world. Um, I operate as Spirit of Equine. Mm-hmm. So if you can find Spirit of Equine as a name, it should always be me. I was the one that was the original Spirit of Equine. And so if anyone else has got it, they found it <laughs> on my website and, and claimed it for themselves. Okay. Um, and the other thing is I'm easy to find as Yvette Fran. Okay. 
Okay. Look, we'll put those contact details up on Horse Chats, which yeah. will be horsechats.com mm-hmm. slash Yvette Fran, or it'll search for Yvette or search for Fran. So Yvette is Y-V-E-T-T-E and Fran is F-R-A-H-N. So if you search for either of those, or possibly if you search for equine art, you might risk get it as well. Yeah, so oh, Yvette, that's, yeah. that's the plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, love talking to you. I'm looking forward to your series of books now. And I'd uh, like to talk to you in a little bit more detail once you've sort of worked out your series of books and, um, you know, coming back with some more equine art tips would be great. Thank you very much for having a chat. It's been wonderful. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.